0: Fuck around, I fuck around Fuck around, round, round, I fuck around Fuck around, I fuck around Hello David Hello Nice that you're here in Hamburg and ready for our show Yeah Psychogeography First question, how excited are you? I
1: am, I'm always a bit excited I'm thrilled to be back in Hamburg in your gallery, it's nice to be here And yeah, I'm looking forward to the show being mm. open
0: I think it's going to be a great show yeah cool <clears throat> so the title of the show is psychogeography yes and the topic of it is as well i guess <laughs> yeah well it's actually a topic that i've been thinking about
1: reading about and sort of playing with for years since i was at university
0: Yeah, wow, cool what how how did you encounter this very interesting topic
1: well when i was at university i used to I was really into making maps um, or even buying old maps and then working on top of them. And, but especially hand-drawn maps, like if you're staying with um, people and you don't know the place you're staying and then when people draw on the back of a piece of paper, like, okay, so this is where the dry cleaners is. This is where, there's a good cafe here. And I really love that experience of locating yourself and, and, and people drawing maps this became something that I would sort of started to do myself in my work as as a way of, yeah, when I was traveling, remembering where I was, but then those drawings became something I would add to and, and write on and keep notes. And um, in a, in a way, like this experience that I'm having this week, I used to do this a lot. I used to travel a lot more than I do now and I used to love it. I used to love sort of working out of a suitcase and um, the, that experience of, of making art, whether it's a mural or an exhibition, and drawing a map of the local area, that became a very organic process. And then it sort of evolved into being part of my practice, like the, the maps or even portraits that I m- made, they had a function because I could actually find my way around. And actually I did an exhibition... I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember the year I did it, maybe 2016. Mm-hmm. And the show was called You Are Here. <laughs> you know, when you see a map yeah. at a train station and there's an arrow, it says, You Are Here. Yeah. And that exhibition was very much, it could have been called Psychogeography. The title Psychogeography has been something I've wanted to use for a long time, or I've referred to. And specifically that exhibition, You Are Here, there was a, very big painting, which was lots of little maps that I'd mm. drawn, kind of stitched together to make a big canvas, a personal mm. atlas, if you like, of all the places I'd been, stayed. Yeah. So this this theme or this topic of psychogeography has been with me for pff, 20 years, I'd say. I've been thinking about it.
0: Mm. Yeah. So for 20 years, crazy. So yeah. you've been drawing maps, but really it's kind of hard to see these maps sometimes in your artworks because there's so much going on, which I really like. But when you think about it, there are distinguished features of maps, I guess.
1: Yeah, I guess I got away from doing maps as that look like maps, drawings Mm. that look like maps. I stopped doing that a while ago. I tend to do things um, for a year or two and then I sort of scrap it. So even though my work doesn't look like a map, how we would imagine that i like on a on an atlas for, I still refer to it symbolism like little trees or a little building or even a place name, or I'm interested in describing space, and a map is a really good way to describe space, but as we know now, maps you know they change like if you look at a map on Google map um, or ways or any of these things we use on our phone they can even change, you can change the perspective. You can kind of zoom through it or mm. look over it like a bird's eye view, so it changes. And then obviously a paper map, how we how we grew up with maps. Like that's how I remember car journeys with my dad was like, you would have a map and you would be the navigator. This was this is like a prize role as a child for me, to be the person in the front seat reading the map. Mm. Um, so I'm interested in maps. I'm interested in how maps can be simplified or you know uh, you could draw me a map of how to get to the local cafe that's literally two lines on a piece of paper and, and i'll understand it so a map doesn't always have to look like a map i suppose it's something that i've been interested in for like quite a long time because i'm interested in describing spaces and there's different kinds of spaces that I'm interested in describing. So one space that I'm interested in describing is the mental space, the brain, mm. the space of your imagination, your dreams, your thoughts, your fantasies, all these things that are going on inside your brain. That is a space that you inhabit. It's somewhere you kind of walk around in, don't you? Your brain is a bit like a museum full of rooms that you can store information in or discover new things. And mm. and it's really fantastical like sometimes i have a dream that i can't believe and sometimes i also have anxieties or sadness that overwhelms me so the brain is its almost bigger than me it's which is a a weird thing to say but my brain i'm exploring it all the time i don't really feel like i've reached the corners of my brain you know in fact some people say you only use 10 percent of your brain is that don't google that that's probably true (laughs) Probably not. Yeah, let's just say it. It's true. <laughs> Don't Google stuff on a podcast. <laughs> no, it doesn't help. <laughs> so, the first space that I'm exploring mm-hmm. in my work and that I'm navigating or mapping is the mental space. This is for everyone, this is the first space that you inhabit. Mm. Um, it's with you all the time. I think of it as a labyrinth, I think of it as a maze, I think of it as a wilderness, a, 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 a weird. And wonderful place for me to explore and that is definitely in my work i think the way i conjure up a picture is never one image i like Uh there to be things that overlap because thoughts overlap i like things to collide thoughts collide i often think about my mental state especially when i get hyperactive or if i'm Not able to focus as much it's almost as if there's too many apps open on my phone or too many windows open on a computer and that's how i like to present my artwork that's for me how i see the world i don't Mm. see the world in one single picture um i see things next to each other i see things overlapping each other it's almost a collage in my brain and sometimes it's something very significant like picture of someone i love or i miss and next to it something completely trivia like oh i need to buy mayonnaise Mm -hmm. so your brain is able to and you're you're able to read and and absorb multiple things at the same time Uh, you can have a song playing in the background while you're thinking about work that you're doing while you're also missing a loved one and you know thinking about what you're gonna have for lunch yeah. So I think that is a more honest way to create a picture. I'm not an illustrator. I'm not trying to paint a scene. I'm not a landscape painter. I'm not trying to do a, a render an image. I'm trying to construct a space, a visual space that tells several things at the same time and makes you maybe feel something, Mm -hmm. even if that is the feeling of thinking. I like that. I like making people think, um, almost as if they're presented with a puzzle or a game that they have to play. Um, If you get an image of something, yeah, you can play with it. You can go, oh, why did he do this? Or what does that mean? Or what's that character doing? But I think it's also... I don't know. I'm 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 not interested in making um, one image of something. It just feels a bit reductive, like a like it's a like I'm. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah,
0: but it's. <laughs> I mean, in your artwork, there's always a lot going on. Yes, you know? almost too much, maybe. Yeah, but I think that's great because people. Well, I can't speak for people, but for me, for example, when I look at your artworks, I'm always like I find stuff that I can relate to, or that I have thoughts about, or that I have feelings about. Mm. And with it gets more and more the more the more you look, I feel like so that's really I think that's really interesting when you speak about mapping because it kind of feels like we are uh, as a um, viewer, you start mapping the artwork a little bit for yourself. so you start finding, oh, there's a flower, oh that could be a tree, oh mm. that and then you start to fall in love with the artwork or have or, or you hate the artwork. Or you, 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 at least you would, um, get feel get a get a certain feeling about the artwork.
1: Yes, there's a definitely when I think any bit of artwork you're looking at, even if it's a piece of very conceptual art in a museum made out of neon signs, or you're trying to navigate it. Anyone who enters into a gallery or museum space and they're confronted with a piece of art, you're trying to navigate it. Mm-hmm. You're trying to read it. You're almost like a detective at the scene of a crime, and you get bits of information: the title, the date the artist's name, the materials that it's made for. These are points of sort of um, context. But I'm, yeah, I'm inviting you to, in a way, locate yourself around in the artwork or in a way get lost in it. Yeah. Um, but give you just enough information that
0: you can find your feet,
1: but not enough that it's obvious what it is. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's pretty interesting. So so. On the topic of that, because I think there's always artists, artists who like to give a lot of information on their artworks, be it via text inside of the artwork or just a very, just very big description or text. You don't like to do that, right? So you you kind of just want the people to look at your artwork and find their own way, or is it like that you have a certain way in mind they should look at your artwork? Um. I like to guide people to to give
1: them just enough information. I always write a text to go with an exhibition or a body of work. I'm usually writing while I paint, you know, like a, through a series of months of making work. I write about it because I, I think words do things that, you know, images can't do. If you give someone a sentence or a phrase or a quote, it can give them more information to help them wrestle with the thing you've made. But there should be mystery. There should be this kind of not knowing. There should be this um, secret ingredient that you're not giving them away. So it's a very... um, It's a balance between giving an audience just enough. Mm -hmm. Here's the title. Here's here's some quotes. Here's some information. But now, yeah, you need to figure it out. Um, I don't want to patronize someone as well. I always think people are cleverer than maybe I... People have, I don't know how to explain it, but I'm always surprised at how well people read things, even if you don't give them information. Um, yeah, it's a hard thing to do, actually. Explaining artwork, uh, it's almost like part, like half of the artwork. Definitely when I was at art school, that was... Um, the way the way it worked was actually explaining it and writing about it was way more important than making mm. it I like there to be this balance between explaining it and leaving half of it mysterious I think if you explain a joke it's not funny yeah yeah and if, if someone likes it that's enough mm-hmm. I want to get people into the art a bit like a song I want people to dance to it but you shouldn't always know what the lyrics mean in a song
0: yeah.
1: or why a musician chose to, you know, do it in F-sharp or D-flat. It, 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 you just try and enjoy it. Um, and I think enjoyment's a big part of my work. I'm very into playing games. There's a lot of bright colours. Yeah. A lot of my work looks like it's made for children or by children or at least um, my inner child is very present when I make the art. Mm. Yeah, and I don't think it has to be uh, dark or sad to be serious. I think you can make serious points while still having fun. Mm -hmm. And play's a big part of this. Uh, My practice generally is all about playing, I'd say as an override, like I'm, I'm interested in things, but I'm interested in playing with them.
0: Yeah, well, definitely.
1: Uh, so going back to the navigating of spaces, I was saying the first space that I'm interested in is my head. You know, that's not always a very happy place. I'm mm. not always happy. I'm not always excited. I can talk about those serious things in a funny way. Humor is really important to talk about tragedy. You know, the two, mm. t- t- and I think if, if I was to just make paintings that were serious, I'm not sure
0: I'd have as much fun making it. You want to talk about your colour uh, color, color palette or no? Um, I'm doing that <laughs> thing where I pull
1: apart a rubber in front of me. That's I what I used to about. do at school. I haven't done that for years. Um, so the colour palette, I mean, yeah, it changes, you know, like I, I have certain colours that recur in my work. And like, for example, this particular show, like making this mural, I didn't like some of the colours that yeah. you had in the gallery. Yeah. Because sometimes you turn up and they're like, oh, I've got this box of painting. You're like, oh, I can use that. A yellow is a yellow, but it's not. A yellow is not a yellow. There's the like infinite tones of yellow. and And so, yeah, I have certain colours that I'm always going back to. Turquoise, blues, greens, things like that. And then there's some that are generic because of the brand. It's the same in Germany as it is in England. Yeah. So as soon as I went in the shop, I'm like, that green, I know it. <laughs> I know the texture. I know the... The colour, everything about it. And then there's always a surprise colour that arrives on its own. And I've fallen in love with it to some extent where I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that that red is different to every other red I've used, but I like it. And um, that's definitely happened on this trip because, yeah, the colours, but not only the colours of the paint, like the colour of the paint in the paint shop yeah. is different to you get it back and you start looking at it next to other colours. Yeah, that changes. So there's color, and then there's color next to other color.
0: That's true. Yeah,
1: and then there's color under certain light. So the light in this space where I'm painting is horrible because it's like that fluorescent tube. So there's different ways of thinking about color, and um, I'm on a journey with it. You know, like I'm looking to discover color. Colors, a form of magic. You know, it really is. Like you can do things with color that. The, it, it's it's a language of its own it's a mm. language you can say things with color and i'm really fascinated with that power where you can if you don't like part of a composition you know you can like turn the blues up you can add more blue or bring it down so like a tiny speck of pink on mm. a big blue square it says something you know to me and um it's fascinating to me that especially when drawing some sort of or painting some sort of landscape or figure where colors say things that you know obvious things like green is grass or red is blood or like the, these things are so obvious and universal a yellow circle is the sun like yeah. there, there's something universal and so basic and obvious and then you can play games with that and it can become a kind of story that you're telling yourself or someone else just with Simple lines, shapes, and colors, you know, what's a red circle on a blue square. That's Mars for me, for me. (laughs) Yeah. And Mars is relevant because of course, yeah, maybe, you know, it's the planet we're going to end up on. So there's certain things that circle squares and lines in certain colors for me can talk about things, um, that maybe I can't talk about.
0: Yeah, that's nice. But also, <laughs> getting back to the playing with it part, I think this is also a big part in your art, right? Like you are a very playful person, and uh, my English is leaving me. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. So we are uh, we are doing a mural. Well, you are doing a mu- mural right now here. Mm. Uh, you uh, and we are we've. Uh, intertwined it with, uh, like, playing with people. Yeah, well, this Not is a very people, but.
1: very different mural because I've been thinking about doing something like this for a long time where I create a marble run through the mural. Um, so dropping a small glass ball at the top, it rolls down. And that is something I grew up with. As a kid, I had marble runs, yeah. and I had marbles. They were just always present in our house. And I think there's something really nice about this um, way of building a mural that's a kind of construction. It's a kind of a collage because there's there's little bits of cardboard that are supporting the root of the marble. And um, yeah, it's different to just painting a wall. Mm-hmm. Painting a wall's fun. People like seeing a big painting. When it's on the wall, it's different because it's not for sale. Um, it's bigger than the person standing in front of it so you can kind of get lost in the work but this takes it to slightly next sort of um level with that playfulness and invites people to actually pick up a ball and place it and one of the fun things about it is it doesn't work perfectly every time the marbles must be slightly different shaped or size because some marbles go slightly quicker than others. And it does fall off. And if it gets from the top to the bottom, there is a sense of success Mm. where you have reached the end of the game, which is very interesting for me that the energy or attitude or something that happens when you stop just looking at something and you start playing it. Mm. Uh, This can happen in a supermarket, like I was saying earlier. Like You can turn shopping into a game. You can turn anything into a game. And I think turning art into a game is really interesting play play is a very big part of my life it's something i i consider it like a part of my daily experience you know i I like having fun is that Mm. that sounds obvious but i don't think enough people play i think people are too i don't know maybe too serious or too hung up with getting their job done or something but um i have a kid and that has helped me maybe maintain that because she's (laughs) so playful all children are Children mm. love playing games. And actually, if there's something she doesn't want to do, like brushing her teeth, you just turn it into a game. Hey, yeah. who can get upstairs the first, you know? Or who can do it with one hand on their head? Like, you make it a little bit more difficult and make it into a some kind of competition. Not really a competition, but more like, it doesn't matter who wins or loses, but we're, we're doing this together. That, that's really important for me i think and that's kind of what happens with art doesn't matter who wins or loses but we're doing this together there's yeah. something about that with storytelling as well where it's like you're you're it's a it's a two-part thing you know it's not just spectator. i'm um, yeah i'm interested in art as a spectator thing but if you can get people to engage with it i think it makes it better and now how do you make people engage with it um And that's kind of what i'm interested in engagement and like one way is to make people laugh that's an engagement but to actually get someone to touch it that's also something you're not really supposed to do in an art environment um i like to bend those rules a little bit i guess what i'm trying to ask myself is just because you are playing doesn't mean it's not serious Mm -hmm. and does play mean being silly can you still Have fun in an art gallery and still be respectful and not distract the other people from enjoying it. Do you have to be solemn and serious for something to be important? I don't think so. No. Uh, There's a nice quote. I think it's Brian Eno who said, uh, children understand through play and adults play through art. So I really like that because it's like quite normal to get a child's attention, get them to understand through play, right? I'm going to pretend that the spoon is an aeroplane and that that engages the child with oh yeah let's eat by flying the aeroplane into my mouth i think that's what adults do when we're looking at art we pretend the spoon is an aeroplane when we're looking at abstract painting or listening to jazz there's something that happens in our brain that's like we suspend reality we we think outside the box we bend the rules so that we can engage with it and i think Some people could use with a bit more of that. I Mm. think definitely some adults could do with a bit more playfulness to help them engage with the world. People are too serious. I don't trust things that are too serious. Things like law. Law's very serious. The royal family is very serious. The military is very serious. Mm. The news is very serious. I don't know. I think um, there's space to be not so serious and still get it. Maybe, I don't know. But that's art, oh, that's not law or monarchy.
0: That's true. Go on, what's your next question, Melvin? Well, the question... Oh, I also have uh, written down here... Well, we've talked about what it's like being back at Helium Cowboy. Um, but there has been a change since you've last been here. And that change uh, has been me, so... Yes. We have never worked together before.
1: Uh, not...
0: In fact, not, not really. Remotely, we have. Remotely, yeah, yeah, remotely. But I feel like that doesn't really count because... I feel like over this past, it's almost a week now, <coughs> that you've been here. We've got to, gotten to know each other a lot better than we could have over email and Zoom and text. True. <laughs>
1: How's it been for you, me being in the gallery?
0: Well, it's awesome.
1: You're... I've been sleeping in the gallery, yeah. by the way, anyone listening to exactly. this. Sleeping and eating and actually I haven't really left the gallery other than to go to a local um, burger bar, which we won't advertise on here.
0: No, that's true. Unless they want to sponsor us. No, I've been eating lots <laughs> of junk food <laughs>
1: since I was here. Actually, indulging in um, in junk food, which I haven't done for a long time. But there's something about living in a gallery; you can't cook. I did cook last night. Yeah, um, can't really cook though. But yeah, no, cool. you can't cook, and it's kind of a treat for me. I've been eating really well for months. So this this week, I was like yeah. indulging croissants. Oh, nice. Mm.
0: Yeah. No, but it has been a lot of fun working with you.
1: Actually, it's uh... great, and thanks for the freedom and the. Yeah, you guys have been nice to just give me the freedom because this mural, this marble run idea is something I've wanted to do for a long time, like maybe 10 years. I've been thinking about this idea and maybe this was the perfect show for it because of the idea of psychogeography. Again, getting back to that idea of mapping and I think the ball game or the marble run, for me, it successfully uh, illustrates that Um, movement through a space I'm talking like I was saying about navigating spaces and the painting is a space it's a visual space and I don't subscribe to that I don't know rule of perspective and proportion and saying oh this is a picture of one thing this is a really lovely way to take the way I paint explode it onto a larger scale, three walls actually, so you're mm-hmm. standing inside it, you're immersed inside and then to enable engagement where you're actually invited to place a very simple ball in it and let it run through. This for me is a really beautiful combination of tools, techniques, uh, the surface of the wall, the space itself. That Obviously, we're navigating the painted space, but you're also navigating the room. The, the people are invited to to sort of move through the painting with the ball.
0: Because when
1: you put it in, you can't help but follow the ball's route through and hope that it gets to the next level, which has a lot of metaphors, I think. And I was saying to you yesterday when it kept falling out of the because you and I were fixing it and trying to make it work, which it doesn't always work. And I was saying to you, actually, we're not trying to design a toy here. This is a piece of art that's supposed to talk about navigating space and and not always successfully doing that. So the fact that the ball sometimes falls off the track, you know, we all all come off the tracks now and again, you know? And it's important to get back on and start again. Also, I started to look at it like the root of the ball is like someone's whole life. So it starts when you're born and ends when you die. So again, even though it's quite playful, the element of failure makes it interesting to me. If it worked perfectly every time, I'm not sure I would... I'd probably
0: get bored. Yeah. Maybe. That way it gets super addicting. I mean, we've been standing there for like half an hour just trying to get it, get it getting it to work. And yes, then laughing and the, there's an organicness it to yeah. it.
1: I think because the balls are different, that every time yeah. you do it, there's a chance that it's going to land in a different place or, yes.
0: Which also speaks for mapping, right? Mm.
1: Exactly, yeah. And the ball bearing being like the individual, the yeah. blip, the the dot in the map, the you are here, little dot, um, I feel like that's kind of sweet as well, this way of sort of um, giving the viewer of the artwork a chance to literally drop themselves in it as a little ball and then they move through the painting. I think that's pretty special. And uh, I would love to develop it and make it into actual canvases or or wooden pieces that people, you know, and I don't know, I, I feel like this marble run thing has has legs i think it could run and become something bigger and move out into the space and i don't know it's the beginning of an idea for me yeah
0: there's a lot happening with this one yes
1: (laughs) so what i was saying earlier about navigating spaces i wanted to finish that because i probably interrupted myself or went off on a tangent the first space that i'm interested in is the space of your mind melvin Mm. you have an infinite amount of space in your mind almost as big as the universe itself you think Mm -hmm. about it the way we think the way we dream it's unpredictable it's 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 actually deteriorating as fast as it grows and you fill your brain with ideas it's falling apart right so this is a primary space for me to think about in painting or drawing is amazing because our brains are collages and they are falling apart as we put them together it's a it's a a double-edged sword, isn't it? You can learn a new word in a new language and then forget someone that you went to school with. And and also, here's a crazy conundrum. When is the last time you remember something? I don't know when yeah. I last remember something because I forget it, yeah. okay? Until someone says to me, hey, do you remember that cafe we went to in Tokyo? Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, yeah. And then that memory... It comes back to life. And then it reminds you of other things. Mm. So this is like an organic... It's like a plant. Yeah. It's like a weird living... entity. Obviously, your brain is a living thing. It's you. But it, it, it just fascinates me. It fascinates me, the idea of memory and recollection and secrets. Things that you think that you'd never tell anyone else. This is weird. This is like, like a massive hotel in your mind. And each room contains... A different idea, you know? Mm. It freaks me out. My brain doesn't usually switch off. I, I struggle with that. Going to bed at night, I, I describe it as like a caretaker going around to check all the rooms in the hotel. Mm. And as soon as you open one door, you find something shocking or something you forgot or remember. So, yeah, that is a big part of my work, trying to describe the space of your mind. The second space that's the most local to the mental space is where we are right now mm. in this room or any room or a street or a cafe. So in my work, there might be references to signs or symbols that represent sort of the space that you live in, plants mm. bottles, um, your hands. So you have subjective reality, which is what's going on in your mind. Only you know it and only you can be sure of it. Then you have objective reality. So the the room we're in, my telephone, this pen, the plants, these are real things. So that's two spaces that I'm thinking about when I make a painting. Then you can go further out from that local space to the country that you're in, borders, oceans, different languages, different, you know, the world. And you keep going out and then you're in outer space. And that's even more crazy because no one... Yeah. can even prove it i don't even know if it's real is it real is out of space real i, I guess so. is this a video game <laughs> are we under the dome is it a flat wall who knows yeah until i go into space i can't be sure i heard that space tastes like blackcurrants. did you hear that no Or it smells like it if you could take your space helmet off in space apparently space tastes or smells like blackcurrants.
0: currants what, what is that
1: Blackcurrant. it's like a blackberry oh Blackberry Ribena. Apparently, the cosmos tastes like Ribena. <laughs> you probably don't have Ribena here, do you? I don't think so. Uh, what would you have? What German blackcurrant drinks are there? <laughs> Vimto? Do you've got Vimto? <laughs> no. <laughs> These are famous British um,
0: English drinks. Yeah, I mean, we lost all that, I guess, through Brexit. Brexit. Oh, we?
1: I wonder if you lost. Did you ever have Ribena? I don't know. That's the that's the choice. Uh, blackcurrant drink in <laughs> and that's how space tastes. This like. isn't much of a tangent, is it? <laughs> yeah, apparently space <laughs> apparently the the cosmos, yeah. the universe, space, nothingness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tastes like <laughs> blackcurrants. Google it. Sick. That's what I heard. Right. I mean Where where did you hear that? <laughs> I don't know where I heard it. <laughs> I don't know where I heard it. At a party somewhere. (laughs) The The last space, which I want to, because you can tell I'm trying to get something off my chest here. The last space, which is a relatively new space, is the internet. Go on, have
0: you found out something there? In 2009, astronomers were able to identify a chemical called ethyl <coughs> formid uh, in a big dust cloud at the center of the Milky Way. Oh. Ethyl formid happens to be responsible for the flavor of raspberries. Also, It also smells like rum. Thank you. Space tastes like raspberries.
1: <laughs> there we go, guys. I told you, there's really? a dust cloud at That's... the be- center of the galaxy that tastes like raspberries. That's crazy. Okay, raspberries, maybe not blackberries. Yeah, still. Okay. I'm glad I got that right. I thought I'd just imagine that.
0: So, so while we're on a weird topic, would you
1: ever want to go to space? Yes, I okay. want to go to space. Okay. 100%. I would love space. And I think, oh, my God, can you imagine being yeah. in zero gravity? That
0: would be really cool, Just that.
1: the things that you see astronauts doing when you're, like, flicking a bit of water into your mouth and yeah, playing with uh, anything would be fun. <laughs> anything would be fun in space. That's like, true. Give me a paper clip. <laughs> I mean, I would have the best time, but maybe just for like 24 hours. Yeah. I want enough time that I don't have to sleep because I don't think sleep would be very good in space. I want to eat some food, some space food, Yeah, raspberry-flavored space <laughs> dust. <laughs> I want to have some fun with my mates. Yeah. And then I want to come back and get to work. I don't want to live up there. I don't want to go and live on Mars. I love yeah. Earth. I love it amazing miraculous yeah of course. just far enough away from the sun that we don't get burned just close enough that we get warm although it's getting too warm isn't it let's not talk about climate change but it's getting a bit warm guys but i love earth i'm obsessed with it yeah. actually uh, and actually going back to this show i'd say that a lot of this work is <coughs> about planet earth you know yeah. i i sometimes draw a picture of what planet earth looks like but generally i'd say all my paintings are a reference to an earthly landscape. Yeah. There's something that I'm looking for in my work, which is a suggestion of a universal landscape. Something that's a combination of everywhere I've ever been, a mix of a city and a forest and a desert and a mountain. And it's sort of this amazing cosmic
0: earthly space. Do you mix that randomly or is it more like, uh, I've been to Cape Town and Taiwan in the last three months and now I have to do a painting with these two ingredients?
1: No, it's not that literal. It's more like, I mean, there's references. A specific type of plant that I saw in the desert in Cape Town have you been to Cape Town? No. Oh, I have. I thought you were talking from actual experience there. No, no, You were projecting on me, weren't you? <laughs> have you been to Taiwan?
0: Yeah, I've been. you have been yeah. to Taiwan. What was that like? It's wonderful. Oh, yeah. I we went. I went with my girlfriend for twenty six days. Is that um, the amount of time you're allowed to go on a visa? No, we okay. had to. A different story, but we had. We went. We went to Sri Lanka, and we wanted to go to Taiwan, and they wouldn't let us leave unless we booked the flight away from Taiwan. Huh. So we were like, okay, well, how much time do we actually right. need in okay. Taiwan? So we were like, twenty six days should be enough. And funnily enough, they were the perfect amount to take a whole trip around this little island called okay. Taiwan, and it's wonderful. I can only I'd love to it. go. Yeah, you should love, love to, to go. Think about it. Um,
1: yes, I can't remember what we were saying about a, a universal space. Uh, it, it, I would never probably think about making a painting of a specific place, like, oh, this is a French. <laughs> place or this is a german place i just want to create cosmic spaces because i'm i'm sure that nothing is singular in a way that like it's like i was saying about my thoughts colliding and overlapping every time i start something i kind of interrupt it visually when i'm thinking Mm. when i do stuff it's either something like a superpower or a super weakness i can't really finish a task before i've started another one as well like so even when i'm painting it's more about a, a suggestion of things or um a hinting at stuff i'm um, i don't know i'm still figuring it out man to be honest
0: yeah but i mean just like earth and everything uh is constantly evolving evolving and everything's evolving and so why not still yes, figuring it out
1: it's all know? under construction isn't it yeah
0: and um, the last space that i
1: wanted to talk about Sorry. In terms of, you know, because I was saying about how a lot of my work is about describing spaces. Mm -hmm. And these spaces I think about when I'm making work. I'm not trying to make one of these spaces. Like, I'm not trying to make a picture of the inside of my brain and then a picture of a landscape and a picture of the inside of a room or the picture of a country. I'm trying to mix all of those things up. This is what, for me the the term psychogeography this is why it is relevant to this show the last space that i would say is relevant to everyone and is the newest of all spaces reality mm-hmm. actually if you want to call it i was saying that the inside of your brain is a subjective reality it's yours whereas the room that we're in this table in this chair is objective reality mm-hmm. um germany and england they're realities but they're also kind of like inventions, they're ideas. They're mm-hmm. not like, you, there isn't like a, a, I guess there are borders where you can go, right, I'm in Germany now, I'm out, I'm in Poland now. There's, I remember actually being in a field when I was staying in the Czech Republic. And my friend said to me, because we we're in the middle of the countryside, in the middle of nowhere, and he was like, hey, you're in Poland right now. And yeah. then he took one step to the other side and went, but now you're in Germany. <laughs> you know, and he took another step. He's like, now we're in the Czech Republic. So, like, I like these ideas where things sort of blur and and pop, collide and stuff like that. The last space that is relevant to that is the internet. Mm. The internet is a real space, but it's not a real thing. Not like a table is. You know, I can tap this table and you can tap this table. But a website or an email, they're kind of like imaginary things. I mean, they're digital, aren't they? I don't fully grasp the internet. I really don't know where it's stored, how it works or anything, but I use it uh, and it fascinates me that it's become another kind of reality in real time as well. You could take a picture right now and then someone in Japan likes it. So it's happening in real time, uh, but it's not real. But it is real. Of course it's Mm -hmm. real. That guy did like that picture, uh, but it's not real like this table's real and and it's not real like my thoughts are real. So there's different types of reality. And There's different types of um, spaces. The space of my mind, the space of the room, the space of the country or the globe, and then the space of the cosmos, like we were saying, and then the space of the internet. Mm. The, those are just five spaces I'm thinking about. And I didn't even touch on microscopic space. Do you know what I mean? Microscopics, yeah. so that's even more far-fetched than i can imagine like i can't grasp atoms and molecules but it's real Mm. and i can listen to podcasts about it and every so often i hear something go oh now i understand a little bit of quantum mechanics i don't i don't understand (laughs) quantum mechanics and i don't understand why the universe tastes like strawberries or whatever but these things are real and not only that i am molecular space i am atomic space And I'm in a cosmic space and I'm thinking thoughts. So these spaces that I'm talking about, Mm. this is why, God, it took me a long time to get to this point. But the reason my work looks the way it does is because when I paint a picture, I'm thinking about uh, the borders of a country Mm. and all the problems that comes with. I'm talking about the borders of my body, the, the, the borders or the spaces of my dreams mm. and then i'm also thinking about the table and chairs in this room and you with microphone in front of you i'm thinking about all of these things at the same time uh that's why it's confusing and that's why maybe psychogeography is a good way to help me talk about it or talk or describe it because psychogeography is about the emotional or the psychological reaction to a geographical space so it's, it's, in a way, it's about mixing those spaces. Mm. What happens in your brain, but also in your when you feel. Because where do you feel? When you feel something, mm. where, where does it exist, that feeling? I guess in your chest, right? In your chest. Well, yeah. that's interesting because why do we, well, because of our heart. We feel in our heart.
0: Well, we shouldn't feel. It. it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. To doesn't. It
1: doesn't make sense. But we. But it's true. Yeah. But also your gut. yourself. Yeah. I feel it in my gut. Like yeah. when you feel something is going to go wrong. Oh, I feel it in my gut. I think this is fascinating. Where do feelings live, in a way, and emotions and thoughts? They're two different things. Yeah. What I think and what I feel are two different. But they're very, very connected. Now, what I think and what I feel relating to where i am my location very different but also very connected i feel something when i'm in my childhood house where where i grew up Mm -hmm. as soon as i go in there even the smell of the room can trigger for me emotions yeah memories memories i feel something different when i'm walking down a street in germany that i've never been down Mm. Any street that you've never been down, if you walk down a road or a street or through a forest or through a park and you've never been there before, that is a whole different kind of feeling. Mm. Your senses are heightened. You're like, where am I? Where am I? What's that? Is that the right road? Also, nowadays, if you are lost or if you are in a place you don't know, just put on your GPS and then you feel better. Oh, I know where I am. So this is my phone, the GPS. This is the internet. This is the Imaginary space of of the, the cyberspace. is what they call it, isn't it? Yeah. Cyberspace, but that can affect the way I feel in my chest or my stomach or my head. Can affect the way I think. Of course. Yeah. Can affect. So all of these spaces that we're, that I'm talking about, they all overlap. They mm-hmm. all overlap. It's like a giant Venn diagram, and I'm in the middle. I'm the bit right in the middle. I'm very interested in that relationship between thoughts, feelings, and location and i'm often lost in my art i think that's quite important for me i don't want to be found i don't i don't want to i don't want to know what's happening mm. i don't want to see the end of the journey i don't want to know how it ends you know often when i make a painting i actually feel a bit sad when it's over that's weird mm. don't get me wrong if i sell it i feel happy because yeah. i've made money but that's a whole different quest making yeah. money is a whole different quest to making art art is about finding a resolution in an idea or or an aesthetic so aha the painting is finished i have achieved what i set out to do it was a struggle to get there but i got there in the end mm. that is the way i think about making a painting it's not design i don't know what it's going to look like at the beginning i might do a few sketches. But ultimately when I'm doing it, I make decisions and I change my mind and I go down this route and I get lost and I struggle with it. I battle and I keep remnants of those struggles. I like to keep, like in the mural I showed you this morning, the guy had legs and I painted out his legs. So now it looks like he's in water. This wasn't a design. This was because I didn't like his legs. So sometimes I make a mistake when I'm painting, which leads me to a new discovery. This is what I'm looking for. And I'm very interested in talking about being lost in a city or a forest, talking about being lost in my mind, talking about being lost in the cosmos. All of these places that I feel lost or confused, but most importantly, that should be present in the painting itself. There should be a confusion going Mm. on. There should be contradictions. There should be weird moments where you're like, why is that little bit there? That doesn't make sense no designer would ever put that little bit there i i like to not fully understand which is weird because it yeah you'd think that by now i would maybe know exactly how to make a painting but i don't sort of figuring (laughs) it out as i go along
0: oh wonderful do you want to say anything else about the show i think my questions are through and done you've answered everything (laughs)
1: yeah i um no i'm pretty good man i mean i i'm really like i said i'm really grateful for the opportunity and the freedom that you guys have given me because most of the artwork wasn't made i made it this week um and even some of the works on paper i cut up and have re sort of assembled as collages and um i'm really grateful for the chance to play like I said, that's a really key part. And if I'd come here and just sort of hung work on a wall and tried to sell it, that would be a different kind of approach. This feels a little bit more like I'm lost on a journey and playing my way out of that, you know, and sort of, yeah, trying to find myself in in this, in this process. Um, I'm very, very happy with how the work looks, especially this marble run.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's also quite interesting work we've got here because it's such an interesting mix. I mean, we have the mural in the front, uh, we have uh, canvases, we have works on paper, we have sculptures. Yeah, we've got some ceramics that
1: have turned into, well, they're ceramic heads, and now they've got cactuses coming out of them. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: the three canvases that I bought with me, I'm really into those. And it's interesting that a lot of the i guess a lot of my work resembles a board game that's a big part of it again playing with the space of play yeah so looking at snakes and ladders or chess or backgammon i really love these games like i'm not making that up like i grew up playing backgammon especially my dad and i would play backgammon I like the rolling of the dice. I like the simplicity of it and the childlike nature of how to move through a space, a board, wood, or, or, or even my backgammon board is made from like bays, you know, like the stuff from a snooker table. Mm-hmm. There's something about these materials. There's something about the colors. There's something about the patterns and the rhythm and the beginning and the end and the winning and the losing. And then you lose, and you're like, right, let's play again. But this time I'm concentrating, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's I grew up with that, Um, and I do feel a bit like it's a lost language, a bit. Maybe I'm just saying that because I'm old now. Maybe kids are still playing Snakes and Ladders. I mean, my daughter's three and a half, and she does still play with Jigsaws, for example, or Dominoes. Like, There's things that are universal, but computers and iPads and shit like that has really taken over. And Candy Crush and these sort of, these games are, it uses a different part of your brain, I think. Yeah, but um, you can
0: also like play backgammon and chess and everything. You can play it on your phone, but you, you can, lose so much by by not having the material in your hand. By exactly. Not, you know, there's so much you lose through a screen. Well, that's
1: it's, interesting because now AI can make paintings yeah. and write stories and make music but it loses something, doesn't it? Mm. And there's something about what I do with ceramics, painting, drawing, painting a mural, marble run, bits of wood. There's something about that that is quite nostalgic or handmade analog stuff that maybe without even realizing it, I'm part of a, well, I do realize it, but maybe it's more significant than I realize, that I was part of the generation who were the last to know what it was like before the internet? Mm. When the internet happened, I remember when the internet was just like three websites, and you used it for speaking to a stranger on on a chat thing, and then you got bored and went outside and climbed a tree. Like I was think I was, let's think now. I must have been like fourteen or fifteen when I first used uh, Google. Didn't exist. It was a thing oh. called Ulster Vista. <laughs> And my friend and I got bored within 20 minutes and went outside and, you know, climbed a tree. So like I was the prime generation to discover it because by the time I was 18 or 19, I got my first email address and at university, it was part of the way of learning, Mm -hmm. Googling stuff to find out. But I still had to... It wasn't a choice. At university, for example, we still had to take photographs with slides. You know slides? No. So it's like a photograph, but it's like a little square, and you hold it up to the light. Ah, okay, yeah. Yeah, the resolution's better. Mm -hmm. So when we're at university, you had to take documentation with slides. Digital photography didn't exist yet. Yeah. And I remember when I finished university, I got my first digital camera. It was eight megapixels, which is nothing. My phone's twice as big as that now. Uh. Uh, Maybe that's part of the reason I'm so into drawing and paintings, because I grew up drawing and painting. And definitely this love or appreciation for board games and maps. Mm -hmm. These are all nostalgic things. Maps don't really, they exist, but no one really uses them. We just get frustrated when our phones run out of battery. Um, Board games, I really like them. I was in a flea market two days ago, and I was like looking for snakes and ladders yeah you know snakes and ladders is like nearly three thousand years old no Dan didn't yeah know that. so yeah i'm interested in these sort of nostalgic ways of uh navigating and mm. locating ourselves in our
0: in our lives nice yeah all right so we are very excited to hear what you guys think of psychogeography coming april 28th 28th of april Wait, let me just say before it, yeah. before you, okay.
1: I should probably just, maybe it's not relevant actually, but oh. psychogeography is a, a thing from a, a, like in the 50s, I think. Maybe you can Google yeah. it, seeing as you're there. No, it's 50s. Uh, Guy Debord, I was going to include a, a, a quote by him. He was part of the Situationists, I think. Yeah. So art history, in terms of art history, psychogeography is a thing that artists used to Use it almost as like a political anarchistic, like they would go into a street and they would change something. They would turn all the cars on their side. Or I remember about 10 years ago, I did a series of drawings
0: mm-hmm.
1: based around an experiment by Guy Debord. This is, the exper- this is a psychogeographic experiment that you can do. This is something that I did 10 years ago as a way to make art with a psychogeographic tool. What you do is you get a map. hmm and you put a glass, but the way it should work is you finish your pint. You drink a pint and then you put your glass down on the map and you draw around the pint and then you have to go and trace the circle of the pint as close to the line as you can. Mm. But obviously you can't because people's buildings are in the way yeah. or there's a canal or you have to work your way through the map trying to stay on the line. Yeah, If it was in the middle of a field or a forest, you could unless there was a tree there, right? So it was about reading the land, working with obstacles, and then what do you find on the way? Do you take photographs? Do you write notes? Do you find objects in the street? And I did this in a few cities. I did it in Prague. I did it in Amsterdam. I was very interested in sort of mapping, but alternative ways of mapping or using a map and then sort of twisting it to create a journey. And from the journey, I would create artifacts or objects or recordings which would then at the very end i would make a piece of art so this is something i've been doing for a long time yeah and psychogeography is also a great sort of genre or or a type of literature a lot of writing a a lot of psychogeographic references are from literature and a way to describe a place (laughs) robinson crusoe is considered a psychogeographic novel it's about a guy on a desert island yeah there's a i mean dr jackal and mr hyde yeah. is considered a geographic psychogeographic novel because during the day he's a doctor and at night he's a monster it's, mm-hmm. it's a personification of london yeah that's london it's it's about describing a city and um i think that's why i'm so interested in it is it's not just about art it's about literature it's about poetry it's about feeling thinking observing and it mixes architecture with nature overheard conversations found objects and trying to create something by mixing your feelings Mm. your thoughts and your observations yeah that's that's where it comes from for me there you
0: go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> A bit of background on nice. psychogeography.
0: Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So we are very excited for Psychogeography by David Chenglo. <laughs>